0: You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today, and wherever you are listening, we hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see you guys. And uh, I just got to say, don't we love our band? and this And they do a great job, and what a... What a great weekend we had Bethany Beach. We got to go out there and take over the bandstand and minister to that community. And uh, it was just hundreds and hundreds of people we got to, to interact with. And it's just so great. So we're just so grateful for, for this weekend. It's been really wonderful. I want to say hello to our Fenwick Island campus. We love you guys. You guys are rock stars. Let's give our Fenwick Island campus a big hand. <laughs> Pastor Chase, everybody there. We're just so grateful for you guys and so grateful that we get to do this together uh, at the same time every Sunday. So while we're in this building, uh, there's another building uh, miles from here that they're, they're experiencing this at the same time. So we just uh, love all of our Bayshore family and our Hoboth campus as well. So uh, we're in a series called Building Blocks and this is about our foundation of Bayshore, what our uh, vision is what we're about here at Bayshore. And if you're brand new to Bayshore, this is a great series for you to be a part of. If you've been here for a lot of years, this is a great series as well for you to kind of remind you about what the vision of Bayshore is. And so, we talked the first week about the importance of inviting people to church. We're a church that reaches the community, and uh, people have been putting up the yard signs, got invitations, so they've been inviting people. And uh, we're a church that constantly invites people to come and to hear more about the what the Lord can do in their life. And so last week we talked about the goal is not simply conversion for people, but transformation. Uh, you know the word Christians only used three times in the New Testament three times we always use that's the word we use um, the, are you a Christian you know or we call ourselves Christians but the word that's really the New Testament word is disciple and the word is used 269 times in the New Testament so three verses 269 times really indicates that what we're about is we want to make disciples people that are growing in their faith that are following Jesus every single day and uh, and their lives are being and transformed, So uh, the goal is not simply to wait to go to heaven, uh, and you know, this is not a waiting room, we're not waiting to go to heaven, but in the process, after we put our faith in Jesus, the, the goal of the church is to effect transformation in our lives, so we're better husbands, we're better friends, we're, we're, we, we reflect Christ in the community. So that's uh, what we talked about last week. This morning, we're going to talk about small groups. This is one of the big values of Bayshore, and uh, I believe this deeply. I believe that small groups are very, very important for our faith, uh, for us to come to a place where we really grow in our faith. I think the best way to grow is to be a part of a, a worshiping community like we had this morning, and in addition to that, to be a part of a small group. And uh, small groups are, you know, are very mobile. You can meet different places, uh, different times. They are very, very flexible. And, uh, And so we are in the business here at Bayshore of creating more and more groups, helping you to create groups so that we can be a real community of faith and we can move toward that goal of transformation. Now, I understand that football season starts uh, September 8th, and I'm not sure if you are a football fan, you know, some people quit watching football, you know, I'm a football guy, you know, life's too short not to watch football, in my opinion, so I love football, and uh, and I particularly am a, an, a, an a Green Bay Packer fan, uh, and that's really the team that God has blessed, I think, in a lot of ways, they've got the G on the side of their helmet and all that, so, you know, God is with them, but a lot of you are Raven fans, and, and uh, how many are Raven fans, you do watch football, and you are? Raven fans, you love the Ravens. Uh, And, uh, you know, the Ravens, when they, you know, start, I think September 8th is when the season starts. uh, And uh, they, you know, offensively, what happens is there's a huddle and there's 11 people in a huddle. And they get around Lamar Jackson and they call a play in the huddle. And the huddle is designed to get the team to move toward the goal. And, uh, and so Lamar Jackson calls the play. Maybe, uh, you know, they, they, they have a different option there, but they talk about the play and he calls the play and then the huddle out of the huddle, they move toward the goal. Now, the, the, the real reason that we should be in a small group is that we need a huddle to belong to in order for us to move toward the goal of transformation. Now, I like to say something edgy in every sermon, you know, just a little controversial, so I'm just going to like put it out there really early in this sermon. I'm not sure it's possible to be transformed into the image of Christ without being in a small group. I think that it's, it's really, really hard to really become the person God has designed you to become outside of being in a small group. Small groups are very, very essential. Now, uh, you know, I wasn't raised in a church that emphasized small groups. We were into good services. We wanted to have a good, good service. And we wanted excitement. Uh, We wanted the organ pumped up. We wanted music. We wanted to dance. We wanted to have a good time. I was raised in that kind of church. And good church, love it. Love exciting churches and all that. But in my opinion, and looking at my life, I really, you don't necessarily grow by experiences. Experiences sometimes kind of initiate your growth. But real growth happens when you are in a a group, a covenant relationship with people, 8, 10, 12 people that you have a relationship with that know you, And you are together, praying together, studying the Bible together, sharing your lives with each other. That is really the the way that we grow. And uh, I remember one guy told me one time that, you know, he was a Tarzan Christian a Tarzan Christian. I said, well, what in the world is a Tarzan Christian? He said, well, I used to be a Tarzan Christian. He said, you know how Tarzan, you know, kind of swings on one vine to another vine to another vine to to the jungle. He said, I was a Tarzan Christian. I went to one concert and then one conference and then one great thing after another. I was trying to get experiences in order to grow in my faith. And I'm not sure that we can really grow in our faith outside of being in some type of small group. Now, my experience was, wasn't in a small group, did not have that. We had Sunday morning services, you know, we worshiped, we, we faced the, the, uh, the, the stage. All of us saw the back head of everybody, and we sang, and we worshiped, and sometimes we jumped up and down. It was a little Pentecostal, my background. And, uh, and then on Wednesday night, we did the same thing. Sunday night, we did the same thing. But when I moved to uh, Florida, the church I went to, Karen and I, when we first got married and we went to Bible college in Florida, uh, the church we were part of had small groups. And I had never been to a small group before. I'd only been to services Services were what I was used to, and our church had great services, about 1,500, 2,000 people on Sunday morning. Great worship, and uh, the band was great. The preaching was so good. But then they had these small groups, and that was the thing. You were to go to a small group during the week, and so we went to our first small group. Somebody took us there, and it was... Uh, it was a lot of older people, and we were in our 20s, and I, you know, I could tell it was older people. The smell of Ben Gay was in the air. I mean, it was older people there. And we looked around, it wasn't our crowd, you know? It was good people. And this is an interesting little sub-point about small groups, you know? Small groups, you, you don't want to try one small group and say, well, that, I didn't like that, and give up. You want to find, it's like finding shoes. You don't want to find the group that fits you. But we went, and it was okay, but it wasn't our group. And so we were invited to go this next uh, week to another small group. And we went there, and it was in this nice house in Pensacola, uh, you know, a uh, little rancher house. And it was, you know, nice, nice little group, about 10 people there. God led the worship with a guitar. Guitar was out of tune. Guy couldn't sing. Uh, it was just, the singing was awful. Uh, the guy that led the group was a tugboat captain. And, uh, I I think he knew a little bit about the Bible, but he was a tugboat captain and he talked a lot about boats and somehow tied that in with Jesus. And, uh, and then we all prayed together at the end. He, everybody shared their needs and, you know, bad singing guitar out of tune, tugboat captain leading the group. But I'll tell you what, the Lord was there. And I really got touched in that group. And it was like nothing I'd never experienced, ever experienced before. So we started going every week. That particular group met every week. So we went every week. We got to make friends with people. The big church we were in, 2,000 people, you know, we knew a few people, but we started making some really good friends. The guy that, that led the group, his name was Bob Lewis, the duck tugboat guy, uh, he invited me to come paint the eaves of his house with him. I did some painting with him. We played golf together. We did some things together, and and, it, and I remember struggling in some areas of my Christian life. And I don't know if you've ever struggled in your Christian life since you've become a Christian. I had some temptation issues I was struggling with. And one night after the group, you know, when it was everybody kind of left, I talked to Bob openly about my struggle, what I was struggling with. And, and uh, that tugboat captain, you know, laid hands on me. You know, I had hair then. He messed my hair all up and prayed for me. and uh, And I'll tell you what, I saw my life begin to change. And I'd been to... Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of services, and heard hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sermons. But in a new way, I was beginning to grow and beginning to change. Real growth happens in small groups. Uh, it's, it's, It's always been true, it always will be true. Churches that focus just on the big production, the big uh, you know, the big show, the big music, the big lights and all that, and all that's stuff that we believe in, we like to do. But if you want to grow and if I want to grow, our church needs to be a church. in Femic Island, uh, all of us, we need to find our huddle. Find our huddle. And, and if you're not in a huddle yet, and you know, we'll be starting our small groups this fall, if you're not in a huddle yet, can't find the right group or whatever, we want to help create new groups so you can find a place where you can hang out. So it's very, very biblical for us to have a small group. So there is no transformation outside of a circle. There is no transformation outside of a circle. That's how Jesus started it. In fact, Jesus had... Jesus was, I was thinking about small groups and I was thinking about, you know, where is this in the New Testament? Well, here's an obvious one. Jesus led a small group. He chose 12 people to be in his group. And these were, you know, a bunch of fishermen, uh, a tax collector. uh, And this is the great thing about a small group. You get all kinds of people in it. uh, and, uh, and, And so Jesus had this small group of of 12 and and they were just rough around the edges and they met together and you know you know the thing you can do in a a small group is you can ask questions you can say things that you can't say in a big group And, and and some of you when you hear me preach on sundays you think i'd like to ask him that question you want to stand up and ask me a question and i'm so glad that you don't i am so thankful that you don't But in a small group, you can just say, you know, I've never understood this. And you can say that out loud in a group of friends. And they did that one day. They said to Jesus, they said, uh, you know, teach us how to pray. We've never learned how to pray. And in that little small group setting, Jesus uh, taught those disciples how to pray. We would not probably have the Lord's Prayer if it hadn't been for a small group and the comfortability of that group for somebody to say, How do we pray? And by the way, here's a wonderful breakthrough in a Christian's life. When you really begin to break through and begin to grow in your faith, is when you are at the point where you learn how to pray out loud in front of a small group of people. Now, some of you maybe have never done that. You've never prayed out loud in front of a group of small people, or a small group of people. And uh, and that's a really, uh, that's a breakthrough. I remember the first time. I prayed out loud in front of other believers. And I can't remember how old I was. It was at a small group meeting in a house. And, you know, back in the 70s, everybody held hands, you know. And when they had prayer, I'm not big on that myself. You know, your hands get all sweaty. And I I don't want to hold people's hands. But anyhow, we used to do that. But we were in a circle. And they asked me to pray. And my heart began to beat. I mean, I'm just, my heart's pumping because I have never prayed out loud. And when you learn... You get to the point where you make that quantum leap. There's several quantum leaps in your Christian life. One is getting baptized, water baptized. Another quantum leap is when you first pray out loud in a group, in a small group. And that really, really helps you to grow. And so Jesus had this small group. He was the first one who had a small group. He had 12 in his small group. And those, those 12 disciples... Um, they hung out together. Now, here's another thing that I think is really interesting. Now, I'd like to write a dissertation on this. This would be a good Ph.D. dissertation. I'm not going to write a dissertation on this because Lord knows I don't have time to do that. But I really believe if you looked at the Gospels, you would see more emphasis on Jesus with the 12 in the small group than you would see with him with the multitude. You know, he fed the 5,000. He taught the Beatitudes. I was on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee where they think he taught the Beatitudes, and there was thousands of people there. He had the thousands of people. But if you looked at the Gospels, I think what you would find is you, if you added up the number of times that the verses in the New Testament talk about Jesus being, in a, uh, being with his disciples in a small group versus them being in the big crowd, you would find more support for the small group than you would the big group. Now, it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. Everybody needs a big group to worship corporately, and you need a small group to be in as well. But I think, you know, that that's, you know, what Jesus did. Jesus with those 12 disciples, he, uh, you know, what he did was he... uh, He got away with them. He just got he got off to himself with those disciples. And and it was just him and the disciples. Now, here's an interesting thing. How did he do that? The crowds are following him. He's immensely popular in Galilee. People are following him all the time. He's got thousands of people want to be around him. But he wants to be with this small group. And so what does he do? He gets in a boat. Now here's an interesting stat for you. Some of you have boats out there, and every once in a while I talk about boats a little bit. But here's a positive thing about boats. Uh, how many, uh, how many have a boat? You have a boat and you, know, you enjoy your boat. Anybody A few people have a boat and, and, uh, I'm going on a boat ride tomorrow. Nice boat ride with, uh, uh, with somebody at the Femke Island campus. Looking forward to that. And, uh, that's my, that's how I do boats. I ride in other people's boats. That's what I do. That's my thing. But, uh, did you know that, you know, Jesus constantly getting in the boat with his disciples, that was the equivalent to turning off your cell phone. So he got away from the crowd so it could be with his group. And do you know how many times a boat is connected with Jesus and the Gospels? This is interesting. Fifty times. Fifty times Jesus and boats go together. So Jesus loved boat rides. And I think one of the reasons he did it was just him and his people. Him and his disciples. And they hung out together. So small groups are designed by God to help us to grow. And there is no... Pr- Transformation outside of being in a small group—you can grow some, but real transformation happens when you get with a small group of people that love you and know you, and you pray with them, and you you do life together, and you help each other through hard times, and you study the scriptures. This is the vision of Bayshore. And it's really, really uh, something that we believe in, something that I do. I don't like preach about it, but I'm in a small group. You know, some of you guys are in my 6:30 meeting uh, small group on uh, Tuesday mornings, and we get up 6:30 in the morning, we go to Pizza King and we read the Bible together, and we pray together and we talk, and we talk about electric cars, we talked about other stuff, We talked about all kinds of things that' were interesting, but we talk about the Lord, and we study the scriptures. And I can tell you, if I'm completely honest, there's some mornings, especially in the dead of winter when it's cold and it's dark and those covers feel a little good and Karen's chewing on my ear, you know, and I just don't want to get out of bed. You know what I mean? And, but I tell you what, that alarm goes off and I climb out and put my clothes on and comb my hair, you know, get all ready. And I go to that meeting and every time I go to that meeting, I'm just really pumped up when I leave. It's always good to be with people who are trying to grow in their faith because that's where you grow. That's where you grow. We ask questions, we talk, and all that's important. So that's a, that's a big thing. So, um, so say this with me. Small groups are essential to transformation. They're essential to transformation. And uh, here at our church here, at Bayshore at, at Millsboro, Femic Island has a lot of great groups. We have a lot of great groups. Uh, Rehoboth has a lot of great groups. We have Celebrate Recovery on Thursday nights, I believe, at Rehoboth Campus, and that's a small group for a lot of people. They break into small groups, but small groups are essential for transformation. If you think about, it, there's a great illustration in the Bible. It's in, it's where David goes to get the five stones. Uh, to, uh, to attack Goliath with. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40, the Bible says that, that Goliath is out there and he's making all these threats. And David kneels down over a, a stream of water and he takes out five smooth stones out of the water brook. And what we're talking about here is we're talking about stones that used to be rough and ragged But the Bible says they are now smooth. It's because they are packed together in the riverbed. And the water flows over those stones. And those stones move together and they become smooth. So how does a person become transformed and the rough edges off? They're packed in a small group. The Holy Spirit moves over them as they talk about the word and as they pray for each other. And in that process, they become transformed. Transformation, as much as I love uh, David Crowder and, uh, you know, a lot of concerts I've been to and all that, and especially what we did, all that stuff is so wonderful and it's inspiring and it helps us and it encourages us and it's so essential to our faith. But there's this another level as well where we have to get in a small group in order to be transformed. So Jesus had a small group, and let me give you a, let me give you a couple of little scriptures here uh, from the New Testament uh, to show you. That it was the norm in the, small, in the New Testament. Let me give you a couple of, and uh, we'll make this one in. We'll go to uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's in here somewhere. Acts 2:42. you got it there. I'll just look at it at the screen here. I'm wearing contacts today, so I can't see everything. And uh, so let me look at here. They devoted themselves. This is Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Just freeze it right there. They devoted themselves. The word devoted there is they were resolved and committed to. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And so the early church, they got together for fellowship. They got together for breaking of bread and prayer. What is breaking of bread? Does that mean that they just had potluck dinner? Or does that mean that they had communion? We don't know what it means. It could mean that they broke together, they got together and had communion together, or it could mean that you know they you know they cooked around a grill. They had gas grills, I'm sure back when the apostles were there. They had gas grills. They were you know doing burgers and stuff. But they had food together. And then the next verse says this: Everyone was filled with awe and at the many wonders and signs promised by, uh, performed by the apostles. Next verse. And they had everything, and they were did everything together, and had everything in common. So they were together. Remember the, the illustration of the stones in the riverbed. They were had everything together, and they were and, and they had everything in common. The next verse is, what's the next? Is that the last verse? And they met together from house. Uh, then they sold their property, possessions, to give to anyone in need. Next verse. Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread and, and from house to house and, and met in different homes together. So when you look at the norm for the early church, the early church met together in small groups. And that was what they did. That was a very key part to what they, what they accomplished and what they did. So when you look at the early church, they met in the temple area. And then that's where there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And they listened to the apostles teach. Now, the early church was like this. They had, you know, they, they, around Jerusalem, they all met at the temple. They had those big uh, courts in the temple. So there would be maybe a couple thousand people in, the, in that temple area. And they would say, you know what? Guess who's preaching today? John. John, the disciple of Jesus, is preaching today. And so John would get up and he would teach. And then oh, they'd say, gosh, you can't, can't wait till Friday night. Peter's preaching. And then Matthew, the tax collector, a little dull, but you know, he kind of methodically went through it. And they heard the apostles that had been with Jesus teach. And then in addition to that, they met and went from house to house in order to grow in their faith. So they had the big group and they had the small group. They had the big group and they had the small group. So, and that's how they grew. They grew in their faith not just by listening to a lecture from the apostles, then that was taken to another level where they met in a small group and were part of a small group. And so the benefits of a small group is a small group is where your, your transformation really takes place. Uh, and, and it really, really, that's where it really begins to happen. The other thing about a small group is, is you can come to church and you can have a big need, and nobody knows about it. And, you know, it's a lot of people here. The sermon may not match where you are that week. You know, I'm preaching on, you know, the, you know, the ten toes in the book of Revelation, the great beast or something. And you're like, what the world? That doesn't have anything to do with me. And you come, and, and people at the door, our wonderful host team, says, how are you doing? And you say, Fine. And what does fine mean? Fine means frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> How many have ever said fine when you really weren't fine? And, you know, a small group is, you know, you can, somebody can say, you know, listen, I'm really discouraged. And here's something we encourage small groups to do when we have prayer in our small groups. I always say in the groups I lead when we have prayer time, I want to, we want to pray for you, for the needs in your life. Don't tell us about your, your, your mailman's cousin that's having surgery on his big toe three weeks from now. Have you ever been to prayer meetings where people do that? You know, they give some like obscure, you don't know who in the world they're talking about, or here's the worst one of all, whatever, whoever started this, is just crazy. I'm just having unspoken prayer requests. What the world does that mean? Have you ever been in a group where they had an unspoken prayer request? I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what you're supposed to do with that. Unspoken prayer request, you don't pray for it? I don't know what you do with that. But you, you have to, in a small group, you can share what's really, really going on in your life. And you can say, listen, I'm not doing so good, and I need you to pray for me. Now, you know, some weeks you're doing good, some weeks you're not doing good. But a small group is where you need to be able to say, hey, listen, I need you to pray for me. Because that doesn't always happen in church. And in a small group, it is where it can happen. I remember in our second group we were part of, Karen and I, our small group we were part of in Florida... Uh, loved loved this group uh, they had a we met in this nice house and it was a it was very demographically diverse, meaning we had some older people, some younger people in there, but a lot of kids you know people in the twenties, my age at the time, and uh, some people in their thirties and so one night we got done, had worship I led worship in this group, and you know I had my guitar tuned, and I was singing maybe trying to sing better than the last guy, you know what I mean uh, but one night, we're getting ready to have prayer, and Debbie, Debbie Kerr says, will you pray for me? Before we, we got our prayer time, we're all in a circle. She says, "She says uh, I've had three miscarriages, and I am pregnant again, and I'm so afraid that I'm going to lose this baby. Now, that's not something you'd stand up in Sunday morning to say. But you can say it in a group of 10 or 12 people that have been meeting together for a year and a half. And she said, Would you all pray for me? So in those days, we put a little chair in the middle and we went and we all got around her and we just laid our hands on Debbie and we prayed. And I tell you what, I felt like the Lord just came on me. And I started, I don't know what you think about this, but it's like a word of knowledge came on me. I started saying things over her that I was like, you know, just be quiet, just bless her. But I kept saying, you know, the Lord's going to bless you. You're going to have a little boy. He's going to be healthy. He's going to be strong. He's going to be used by the Lord. And I'm like, shut your mouth, Danny. You don't even know what it's going to be. And I just kept praying and praying and praying. And uh, so that was in... I don't know what month it was, but then we moved up here, and in February, I was getting ready to preach one Sunday morning in the other building, and the phone rang in the office there, and it was Debbie uh, and our friend David Kerr, and... And David, it was actually David called and said, Debbie, Debbie had the baby. And that was back in the days when sonograms weren't very good. Anybody remember when sonograms weren't any good? I mean, you couldn't tell what, we had a sonogram when, when our kids were, you know, when Karen was pregnant with our kids. You couldn't tell what the world it was, you know. Nobody could. But uh, so David said that Debbie had had her baby. The pregnancy was successful. And I said, his, uh, what's the gender of that baby, you know? <laughs> and... He said, it's a little boy, and we named him Ryan. And here's a picture of their family. Back in the back there is Ryan and Charity who live in Kansas City, and there's Debbie and David, our friends, in the middle there. Debbie's holding their grandson, Jensen, and in front is Ryan and his his daughter there, Michaela. So that whole family that came together was around a night in a small group where the little blonde haired lady there in the middle had had three miscarriages and she was horrified she'd have another, but her small group got around her and prayed her through that. You know, a small group, we, at our house, um, I meet with a men. our men, the men's group that I lead. Um, there's lots of groups. I'm certainly not the only group out there. There's so many groups in, in our churches. But um, there's a ladies group that use uses our house, and I, so uh, I, I'm in my office a lot of times studying and working in the evening when they're there. And Jody Monroe leads the group, and uh, Karen helps out, and uh, some of you that are part of it, Beth Ann, different groups, people here. And those ladies, they just you can hear them laughing and just having the time of their life. And, and then, all of a sudden, it gets real quiet. And when it gets real quiet, it's because, it's because they, they're praying for each other. So, a small group helps you to grow. A small group is where you can be real. And a small group is where, and we'll just end with this, a small group is where you can be emotionally healthy. And here's the thing I'm worried about in our community, and here's what I'm worried about in our culture we are becoming more and more isolated as people. We're pulling away from each other. Uh, and all the technology that we have, our smartphones, now we can stream all of their movies. We never go out to the movies. You know, you never run into anybody at the movie theater because you're streaming everything. Everything's online. You don't even have to go to the grocery store anymore. You can order it, and they'll come bring it to your house. And that's a good thing. I'm all for that. But the downside to all that is... Is we're becoming more and more disconnected as people and the more disconnected people become the less emotionally healthy they are it takes human interaction to be a healthy person you have to have human interaction now I'm a big fan of uh, Henry Cloud Dr. Henry Cloud he's a psychologist and Henry Cloud I just recently I listened a little thing he does just about every day uh, called one thought for the day And recently, I was listening to him, and he was talking about, you know, the four points of connection. And it just really registered me. I hadn't heard that before. And he said there's four points of connection. And the first one is, let me see if I can look at it on this screen. I can see it a little bit better. The first, first point of connection is disconnected or no connection. So some people have no real connection with people. They talk to people. They have a surface level of communication. Have you ever talked to anybody that you really don't know them? They, they're real guarded. I was watching. Uh, uh, my next guest is, uh, you know, a while back. Uh, you know, David Letterman has these interviews he does on Netflix, and he was interviewing uh, Jerry Seinfeld. So I listened to. I like Seinfeld and. And Letterman is an incredible interviewer. So I was watching that. And here's the thing about David Letterman. If you watch David Letterman, he always puts the, the focus on the other person. And nobody knows anything about David Letterman. David Letterman's very guarded. Very guarded. But Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld, started turning it around and started asking him questions. And you could see how uncomfortable Letterman was because he's not used to sharing his life and being honest. So some people, you know, they, they come to church, they get in their car, they get out of the car, they walk in, and there's no real connection with people. And, 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 they, and, and they go through life that way. They don't really, really know anybody. So no connection, no connection. The second one is a bad connection, a bad connection. Now, bad connection is you have dysfunctional relationships. Dysfunctional, dysfunctional relationships where you are in a relationship where a person is highly critical of everything you do. It's an abusive situation where you've got somebody that's constantly criticizing you. Could be a boss. It could be a spouse, it could be a friend, and you have this dysfunctional or bad bad connection. And then he he talks about the pseudo good connection. The pseudo good connection. Now the pseudo connection is we all long for connection. So if you don't have a real connection with other people, you have a pseudo connection. The pseudo connection could be, you know, all the accolades you get at work or some achievement. You're always looking for something to achieve to make you feel significant. And so you're driven that way. A pseudo connection can also be addictions. I was, I watched last night uh, a, a, a documentary on fentanyl and how many people have died from fentanyl exposure, especially since COVID. 70% of heroin now is, uh, is, is laced with fentanyl from what this, uh, this ABC uh, thing did. And there's people in our country that are just, just really, really good people that are in serious addictions. And some of that happens, you know, because of painkillers and all that. If you watch, I don't know if you watch Dope Sick or not. That's a great, great show. But um, the addictions in America are, are profound, and why are, there, why are there so many addictions? Well, we can try to stop the drugs from coming in from Mexico or from China. They used to come, fentanyl used to all come from China. We can try to stop that. But there's, the root issue is, is that people aren't connected to each other. And because they're not connected, they're lonely. They're depressed. They're sad. They're, they're, they're just overwhelmed with life. Life seems meaningless to them. So they want to feel better. They want to numb the pain, and so that's where the addictions come from. Porn- pornographic uh, exposure is all about pseudo connections. I want to be connected to something to make me feel better just for a minute. So, in fact, uh, uh, Henry Cloud's, I went and bought the book on this Four Connections. I thought, man, I want to read more about this. So, I read this book, I read most of it from Henry Cloud. And he tells a story about a doctor, a surgeon uh, named uh, Liam. He was a heart surgeon. His name was Liam. He was very, very successful, very predominant in his field. And uh, he had invented several, you know, techniques, and he had several instruments he had developed. He was very, very wealthy. So he calls uh, Henry Cloud, and he needs an appointment. So he flies to Los Angeles to see Henry Cloud. And the guy said, I'm in trouble. He said you know this guy was literally at the top of his field he was wealthy all these investors were you know involved with what he was doing he said I'm in trouble because I've had um, three or four illicit affairs with nurses and people at the hospital and my wife has found out and now my several of my board of directors know about it and he said the sky is fallen." and he said I come up with a plan, my wife's left me, but she said if I get my act together, she'll consider coming back to me. So here's my plan. He said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come home, I'm gonna be more focused on her. He said, I do these high, these high technical surgeries. And, and he says, I'm so stressed that when I do these surgeries, I come home and I just want to veg out, and I can't interact with my with my wife. And so I'm going to do better with that. I'm going to go to counseling. I'm going to take walks with her every day. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to go to counseling. And Henry Cloud said to him, "You're going to, you know, that sounds like an interesting plan, but you're going to fail again. You're going to go back to your affairs." Well, the doctor said, well, why Why would you say that? I'm doing all these changes. He said, because everything you're talking about is more output from you. I'm going to do more. I'm going to be more, uh, I'm going to put more on the table. I'm going to work harder at this. And he said, there's nothing coming into you to take care of you. The reason that you're acting out the way you're acting out is because you aren't being nurtured and taking care of yourself. You have no legitimate connections. The only connection he had in life were those illicit sexual connections and those big accolades he got from his being a surgeon. And so his insecurities and all that were not being met because of a, he just had pseudo-connections. And Henry Cloud said, here, he said, here I am talking to one of the, uh, probably you know the nation's greatest heart surgeon. And he said... He said, doctor, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't the heart have two arteries or two uh, valves that come in and two that go out? You have two valves that come in that bring blood into the heart and two valves that take blood out of the heart. He said, you only have valves that go out of the heart. You give, you give, you give, but there's not an environment where you are receiving, nurture, and help yourself. In America's, and this is, I don't want to simplify the problem, but our problem with addictions and our problem with all the stuff that's going on in our culture is not just simply try harder and do better and put your head down. It's because we become disconnected from each other and we need legitimate relationships with each other. And the church needs to model that. And I need to model that. You know, I'm a person, I get up here and teach you every week and people come to me with their problems sometimes, which I'm honored to help people and, and all that. And, but I have, I have built into my life systems of people that minister to me, people that I'm vulnerable with, people that I tell my deepest, darkest secrets to, people that I open up to, people that know everything about me. And because of that, I feel healthy emotionally, I feel healthy emotionally, I haven't always felt that way. Just say this, all output with no input is headed for trouble. So one of the reasons we have small groups is, is we have, want to grow, we want to be vulnerable, and we want to be able to be emotionally healthy. And you need a place where you can do that. I love the Jaws movie. That was what Steven Spielberg's first movie, his big movie. You remember the scene on the, you remember the name of the boat, the orca? And remember the scene where Chief Brody and uh, Quint and uh, Matt Hooper, played by Richard Dreyfuss, they're, they're in the hall. They've been drinking too much. They're a little bit inebriated and they start showing each other their scars. Do you remember that scene? And they're, you know, Uh, you know Richard Dreyfuss pulls up puts his leg on the table and pulls us up and you can see the scars and they're showing each other their scars and they're laughing and they're really really bonding with each other the thing is everybody has scars everybody has scars everybody has wounds And sitting here listening to lectures is not the only way for us to grow in our faith. Confess your faults to one another, James says. Confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. Confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. You know, and I'm I'm out of time. I'm like six minutes over. I'm almost done. This is like give me another minute. You're like, you okay with that? No, you're not okay with it, but I'm going to give, take one more minute here. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the truth. When you do good and you perform, and somebody says to you, wow, what a good job you did. What a good job you did. That feels good. You know, I remember, you know, when I won punt pass and kick. I don't know if you remember, that was a competition Ford Motor Company put out. And I got second place trophy when I was 11 years old. That girl ahead of me got first place. She was so good, I'm telling you. (laughs) And I got the pat on the back. And sometimes people send me notes and say, hey, man, that was a great sermon. Uh, And I love that. It really helps me, encourages me. I just really appreciate it. Some of you do that. I'm just so grateful for that. But you know what really, really, really feels great is when you're doing lousy and you're doing awful, and you want to quit and you're depressed and you're discouraged and you're confused and your faith is struggling. And you tell somebody that, you show them your scar, and they love you. you See it's going to be okay. The Lord's with you, Danny, you've been through other things. And I love you. I believe in you. I've seen God work in you. It's when you look awful and when you're struggling and somebody embraces you that you're liberated. That's when change happens. And every one of us, the church is supposed to be a place. The church is supposed to be a place where you can show your scars. Chuck Swindoll said, He's a famous preacher down in Texas, and he had a big radio program, Insight for Today, I think it's called. He said he, when he got out of the Marines, after he got out of the Marines, one of the guys, the most crazy guys in the Marines got saved and found the Lord after he got out of the Marines. And the guy, he said, this guy, I was really surprised because he, he was a womanizer. He was a drunk. He hated chapel. He, he loved war. He was just a, he, more profane than any man. And he got saved and found the Lord. And a year or so later, Chuck Swindoll ran into him at a restaurant. And the guy said, you know, Chuck, I'm so glad I found Jesus. But you know what I really miss? I really miss the tavern. Because you go to the bar and you can tell people there anything. And they're not going to judge you. And he said, I really, really miss the tavern. You know, the church needs to be more like a tavern. It needs to be like Cheers. How many of you ever watched Cheers? You watch Cheers? I want to go where everybody knows your name. You got Norm coming in. You got, you know, Woody. That was a strange guy. And they, they pull up to that bar. And they find solace and they find help. Now, the goal of this message is not to get you to go to a bar after church. The goal... The goal of this message is for you to get in a small group. And so we got your, in your seat. you got this card that says, small groups, find your crew. I'm interested in starting a small group. We'll help you with that. If you've got a couple friends that are disconnected, you say, I look at the groups. So I can't see anything that works for me, but I like to start. You know, you only need, need two or three people. And you've got a group. You're interested in joining a group, and you don't know where to start or recommitting to your current group. And you can also go to the kiosk, and you can see all the groups that we have right now. There will be some added in the next couple weeks. Uh, Femic Island, you can do the same thing. Um, and you can go and you can uh, look at the groups. And I went to the kiosk today to see if I could do it. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. So it's really easy. You just scroll down there. It has a box that says groups. You go down there, and you plug in what group you're, you're interested in and at the fo- bottom you fill out a little form and somebody will get in touch with you help you with that. But let's be let's just see ourselves grow this fall and see ourselves become more emotionally healthy. Let's raise our hands to the Lord. Would you raise your hands to the Lord? Help us Lord as a country, help us as society, as people we become so disconnected so isolated we're hurting Father people are hurting because we pulled away we ask you Lord to let the church be, let us, let Bayshore, let Bayshore and femic Island, Bayshore here in Millsboro, let us be a model for healthy relationships, how we live, how we interact with each other. And we ask you, Lord, to help us. Help our small group ministry this fall. Such important thing, Lord. You know how passionate we are about it. We pray that you will help us. Let the Holy Spirit help network people together. Lord, we know the Spirit of the Lord helps to help weave us together so we can find those relationships we need. We ask you for this in Jesus' name, amen and amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give for all things Bayshore visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be you can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family thank you again for listening god bless you